Welcome to another spectacular word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. All right. Tonight we're going to be talking about hope. We've been talking about this since the beginning of the year, and we're specifically going to read verse 38, and then we're going to uh, talk just a little bit about, uh, about how this dovetails into hope. And then we're going to be looking at some other scriptures. We'll be going to the book of Romans, chapter 5. We'll also be going to the book of James, chapter 1. And so uh, let's, let's open up the word tonight by reading verse 38 in chapter 10 of Hebrews, uh, familiar to us this year. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Well, uh, this, you know, what in the world does that mean? Well, this concept, as we've talked before about drawing back, means to be self-sufficient without God. It means that we can be, you know, uh, somehow uh, pridefully independent of God. To imagine that we don't need God, that we can do this on our own, that we have some, uh, you know, uh, something, uh, maybe some wisdom, maybe some smarts, maybe some abilities. And so that we can take God out of the equation and imagine that we could achieve some lasting success without God. By lasting, I mean not only lasting in this life, but lasting also for an eternity. When we take God out of the equation, you know, literally his soul has no pleasure in us. That means that we, we disappoint God when we remove him from being a factor in our life, in our decisions, whether it's in our marriage or whether it's in our, in our you know, finances or whether it's in our friendships, you know, uh, in, uh, whatever it may be, whatever we may be calculating, working on, or heading towards, whenever we remove God from the equation, uh, it disappoints God. And that's exactly what that means. Uh, my soul has no pleasure in them. But he continues in verse 39 and says that we are not, you know, we are not of those who draw back. We are not of those who remove God from the equation of our life, from the everyday interaction. We keep God in the everyday interaction, in our day-in and day-out activities. You know the greatest that you will ever be is to be great in your ordinary. In fact, almost every person in the Bible that God did something powerful through First, he did something very natural and normal through. Gave them this natural, normal, humdrum, day in and day out, ordinary kind of life. And when we fail to conquer the ordinary, we don't qualify for extraordinary. Uh, it's, you know, extraordinary is built on the foundation of ordinary. Let me share one of my favorite uh, Bible characters for just a moment. Uh, one of my favorite Bible characters is, is found in Judges, and her name is J.L. Now, J.L. was not uh, a Jew, you know. Uh, she lived in the land. She had been raised in the land of Israel. But she was a descendant of a man named Jethro, who was, uh, who was a priest of Midian. And Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses. 
Whenever Moses ran away from Egypt, if you've read that story, he ran away from Pharaoh because he had killed you know, an Egyptian guard, and he ran you know, into the desert, and he was hiding. And basically, in his 40 years that he spent in that wilderness, a portion of that was him running into a young lady that he fell in love with and married, and her dad's name was Jethro. Now, whenever Moses, at 80 years old, went back down into Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land, whenever he got them out into the wilderness, he looked at his brother-in-law and his father-in-law who came to meet them. And he said to his brother-in-law, listen, if you will go with us, if you will be my eyes in the desert... If you will show us where to camp, if you will show us where to get water, if you will help us in our exodus and also go into the land of Canaan with us, then you will inherit everything that the sons of Israel inherit. You'll get to live there in peace and in safety, and you'll get to you know, live in the land, and you'll get the same blessings that you know, uh, all of the sons of Jacob get. So his brother-in-law, you know, the son of Jethro, Moses' brother-in-law, said okay. And he went with them and stayed with them in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses dies. And his descendants, not Moses' descendants, but his brother-in-law's descendants, go into the land of promise. They cross the Jordan River. And they, they just you know, help the children of Israel. Well, it ends up that years later, you know, uh, you know, 300 years later, no, 200 years later, Jael is a descendant of Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. She's living in the land of Israel. And God uses her for something extraordinary. There is a Canaanite king named Jabin who had a captain of his army named Sisera and Sisera had a huge army that could do anything they wanted and they were coming and raiding and destroying the crops and stealing and and they they just absolutely uh, you know had the run of Israel along the Jezreel Valley and so one day, uh, there was a, you can read the story, okay, Judges 5 and 6. One day, they were having a war between the Israelites and the Canaanites. And Sisera, of course, he was going to win. Because, I mean, he had this great army. And the Israelites had just put an army together. I mean, just that day. Okay, had just put a new army together uh, under a leader named Barak, who didn't even want to lead. He was afraid he was going to lose. And so as the war started, you know, uh, the Israelites started doing a little better. Sisera took off in his chariot and was looking for a place to hide. And he went to the tent in the Jezreel Valley. He went to a tent of people that were not Jews, but they had a treaty 
with the Canaanites and also were friends with the Jews. It was Jael. Her husband was gone. She invited him into the tent so he could rest and hide. He said, please don't let anyone know I am here. He said, could you give me something to drink? And she said, sure. And so she gave him some milk to drink, some warm milk. He drank it, and because he was so tired, he laid down on the tent floor and went to sleep. Well, Jael knew that he was the captain of the armies of the enemies of Israel. And she went and got a tent peg. You know what a tent peg is? It's what holds the ropes down, you know. And the tent peg most likely was perhaps two feet long. And it, it was, you know, looked like a cone most likely. You know, it went from, from perhaps, you know, four or five inches around all the way down to a sharp point. And this sounds graphic, but this is what she did. She went and got a hammer too. And while he was sleeping, she went to him softly, the Bible says, and she put the tent peg on the temple of his head and with one solid blow, the Bible says, she drove that peg through his head and down into the ground and won the war, which was in agreement with the prophecy of a prophet named Deborah that God would bring deliverance through a woman because the captain of the armies of Israel, Barak, he was afraid and he did not want to go to war. He was, you know, he just couldn't imagine winning. Well, the Bible says, and there's a song written in the Bible about Jael and how God won this victory through Jael. And I mean, uh, uh, she just became a hero and is still a hero of the Bible today. The question is, why did Jael, why was Jael chosen by God? And why did Jael choose a tent peg and a hammer? Why? Well, the reason she was chosen by God is because God knew she would do it. Why did she choose a tent peg and a hammer? Because it was her tent peg and her hammer. Very familiar with it. What was Jael? Jael was a housewife. She was a homemaker. And in that day, it was a tent. She was a, she was a tent keeper. And out there in the Jezreel Valley with the wind blowing past Mount Tabor, if those of you who have gone with me there, you know the wind blows past Mount Tabor, you know, and, 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 and all out in that valley, and, and the wind is whipping along, and, and the soil at some seasons might be a little hard, and at some seasons might be a little mushy, but at any rate, the, the, those, those, those ropes on those tents every day, I mean a homemaker, you know, you, you, may, you may imagine, you have to sweep, you have to clean, you have to dust, you have to, you know, uh, 
you know, well, her job every day was to keep the ropes tied, you know, to get that and, and pound those in and, and pound them in and, you know, and, and, and all day long, every day, day in and day out, humdrum, ordinary, mundane, boring, homemaking, every day doing the same thing day in and day out and day in and day out. But it's the ordinary that prepared her for the extraordinary. That's one of the reasons God chose her. Not only did he, knew, did he know that she would, he also knew she could. You know, no mistake here. But it was the ordinary that prepared her for the extraordinary. These are the things that we read into how we, um, by God's own design, are given this opportunity to day in and day out, mundane, everyday, ordinary, boring. God, what would you want me to do? God, would you help me? God, you know, uh, you know I need this. God, I mean, all day, including God as a factor in every decision, in every consideration. God, I need you to be with me when I talk to my, to my boss. Lord, I, I, I need you to give me the words whenever I talk to this employee. Lord, I need you, you know, uh, go with me. Oh, Lord, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I even ask him about, you know, which, which brand of green beans to buy. I don't know how many of you think that's silly, but I'm the guy that lays hands on pot plants and prays for them to live. You know, I, I think God cares. And I don't get this thundering answer always, but it's a diligent uh, um, um, act on our parts to keep God involved in the affairs of our life. He wants to be involved. He wants to listen to you. He wants to have a conversation with you. You know, just sit down and, 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 and talk with him. Just, I mean, drive along. You know, I hope when you're driving around by yourself, you don't think you're by yourself. I hope whenever you're, you know, uh, laying in bed, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and you're awake and nobody else is awake, that you realize that somebody else is awake. You know, uh, it's Almighty God. He's there with you, never leaves you, never forsakes you. And when you can become great in your ordinary, when you can conquer the boredom of life, whenever you can become great in the everyday mundane, that's whenever we qualify for extraordinary. The just shall live by faith. Not necessarily by this great faith that, that, that is just you know, uh, this you know, uh, extreme moment of life but by the everyday faithfulness of our lives. That's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to get us to understand, that we act in faith, we live in faith, and we are not of those who draw back unto perdition, but we are of those who continue. We are of those who believe. We are of those who keep on keeping on, and that's what that, uh, we are those who live, believe. Not belie, but believe. To the saving of the soul that's what brings us out that's that's where salvation is found that's where joy is found where hope is found uh, that's where the completion of our life and this salvation here is 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 this concept of of the hope of eternity it's a hope you know we are those who believe so that our soul does not lose hope in tomorrow 
We are not of those that take God out of our equation and disappoint God and end up, you know, destroying our hope. We are of those who continue and continue to the salvation of our soul so that our soul does not lose hope. You know, that's what King David said. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. I used to wonder what this connection between faith and hope was. You know, because uh, it, it looked like it was somewhat interchangeable, but it was separate. And I know that a lot of people so much smarter than me have taught uh, on these two elements of faith and hope and how powerful they are. But let me tonight take us to a place and show us a consideration of how we can increase our hope. Because if you have hope, hope will be an anchor of your soul. That's what the Word says. That's what I've been thinking about today. You know, hope is sure and steadfast. The Bible says hope will anchor my soul. Hope will keep me, you know, from being blown about by every wind of doctrine. Keep me from being blown off course. Hope, hope will keep me anchored in a solid rock. But without hope, you know, without hope, I'm man's most miserable, the Bible says. Can you imagine what it would be like to get up in the morning with no hope? With no hope? Wow. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Yeah, think about it. Because when there is no hope, you know what it does? It, 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 it begins to destroy your soul. I don't mean your eternal soul and your eternal salvation. I mean it destroys your soul. It begins to erode your soul. It begins to take your joy and rob you of peace. And you begin to lose patience. And you begin to, to, to lose the fruits of the Spirit because there's no life in your soul. Hope gives you life. Without hope, you just begin to atrophy. You begin to shrink back. You begin to lose some of the cutting edge that it takes for us to get up and go again tomorrow. You know, if you are without hope very long, you can find yourself, you know, staying in bed instead of getting up and pulling up the covers instead of, you know, you, 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 you can find yourself sinking into a dark hole. But how do you get this hope? The just shall live by faith, you know, Faith is an active thing. Faith says it's mine now. But faith is only the substance of things hoped for. If you have no hope, you'll have no faith. You cannot believe for something you do not believe in. Does that make sense? You cannot believe for something that you do not believe in. You cannot believe for a relationship that you do not have any hope in. If you have no hope in healing, if you have no hope in help, if you have no hope in salvation, if you have no hope that tomorrow is going to get better, you cannot muster the faith to make it happen. Faith makes things happen. Faith accesses God. The just shall live by faith. But what happens whenever you can't, you know, you can't fake faith. You can't fake faith. But you can build your hope to the point you know, to, to where you, you, know, you uh, you'll see faith all of a sudden jumping out of you. You'll see faith as a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. You'll see faith becoming a, a fruit of what you, you hope for. Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
Okay? So, without hope, no faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, how in the world then do I get some hope? Well, you may remember, uh, those of you that listened uh, uh, and were here a couple of Sundays ago, we talked about how that God has ordained a law. He has made a law, and this law is, 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 is you know, uh, perpetual. That as long as we are in this life, an ordinate amount of resistance creates a greater strength. An ordinate amount of resistance gives us an opportunity to become stronger and more powerful. We imagine that we're laying on our back and we put 50 pounds on a barbell and it may be hard for us to lift. But if it's an ordinate amount of resistance, not too light and not too heavy, but the reasonable and right and ordinate amount of resistance as we push against it, then it begins to make us stronger. And when we get so strong that it is no longer a, 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 an obstacle, it's no longer something that requires effort to push, then we put a little more weight on it. Not too much. We don't go from 50 pounds to 500 pounds. That would be inordinate. And that's what God has said, that God will not allow more pressure, more problems, more temptation, greater trauma, tragedy to come upon us, but that which we will also be able to withstand. God is faithful to us. However, God will help us to exercise our faith. He will help us to exercise the fruits of our spirit. So there is a law that an ordinate amount of resistance to the forces that are against us, our pushback, not, not, you know, not when we have weight that's too light or weight that's too heavy, but an ordinate amount of resistance will make us stronger. That's the principle we find in the Word of God concerning hope in Romans, the fifth chapter. If you look in Romans chapter 5, you know, we just talked about how the just shall live by faith. And this is what Romans, the fifth chapter from the New King James Version says. And in, in the first verse says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, the just shall live by faith. Having been justified by faith. What does justified mean? Justified, we, we, we can take it phonetically. Justified never sinned. God looks on us different whenever we have faith. God imparts righteousness to us when we have faith. We are not perfect. We are perfected in the eyes of God because we trust Him. And our trust is faith. When we trust God, it's an exercise of our faith. But if we have no hope in God, if we don't believe there is a God, you will never be able to put your trust in God. If we don't believe that, that, that God cares and God loves us, then we'll never trust Him. If we don't believe He cares, we won't trust Him. If we don't believe He hears, we won't trust Him. We are justified by our trust in God. We are justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that's the only way to have peace with God is to trust Him, to include Him in our equations of life. 
The only way that we can have peace with God is to put him in our lives and trust him for every step and with every step. Not drawing back, not feeling that we're self-sufficient without him or we can handle this, we don't need him, or that, you know, that he doesn't want anything to do with us. That's no hope at all. If you believe that God doesn't want to help you or, doesn't, or, or, or you know, there's no hope. Without hope, you can't have faith. Without faith, you can't please God. Without faith, you cannot be justified in God's eyes. It's not justified to not trust God. You know, you're, you're not justified if you don't trust God. You're not, you know, that, that's, that's not, you know, there's no justification for not trusting God. He's trustworthy. He's God. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoicing in hope. Uh, hope will make you happy. Hope will make you happy. Uh, I, I, I was at one point uh, 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 licensed with a, a faith teacher named Jerry Savelle, the wonderful teacher of the Word of God, back in the early 80s. And, and uh, you know, some of you listening uh, and, and, and watching, you know exactly who I'm talking about. What a marvelous teacher of the Word of God. And, uh, 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 and so uh, Jerry Savelle said this about hope one time. He said, hope will keep you smiling while your ship goes down. <laughs> you need some faith, he said. <laughs> but, you know, we, uh, we, we do need faith, but we also need some hope because if you don't have hope, you're not going to have any faith. And, yes, hope will make you rejoice. You get a little hope. I mean, if, you know, do you hope to win the lottery? If you don't have, you know, hope, you know, and, you know but, if, but if you hope you're going to win the lottery, you probably got a smile on your face. Huh? Come on now. Rob somebody of hope and you're going to rob them of joy. Uh, I know the lottery is far-fetched, but right now it would solve most of your problems. According to Ecclesiastes, the 10th chapter, says money is the answer to all things. You don't think money wouldn't help? It will. Money does help. Okay? Uh, but we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace when we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, and not only that, but we glory in tribulation. Now he's getting off in a little bit of la-la land. We're glory in tribulation? I mean, I mean we glory, we, we revel, we, we get excited whenever an ordinate amount of, of tribulation, testing, trials, temptations come our way? Yeah. Now, this is, you know, the testimony of a man named the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's a testimony of how he has experienced life. It's his personal testimony inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us so we too could put a little smile on our face whenever you know, we face a little tribulation, testing, trial, you know, temptation. That ordered amount of pressure that comes to our life. I mean, who, you know, you know, who doesn't like it whenever they're getting a little stronger? Not only that, but we glory in tribulation, knowing. Oh, here's, you know, we know. We know something. I love it when I know something. Knowing, knowing that the pressures that we are currently under, that the tribulation that we may encounter actually produces something in our life. It produces perseverance. If you read the King James Version, it's going to say patience. It's a Greek word, hupomene. H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E, if you're writing it down, hupomene. And it literally means the ability to keep pushing, the ability to push on through it, okay? Tribulation, 
a little ordinate pressure in life will work this ability in you to do a little more to keep a little push to keep going it means that we keep on continuing it means to persevere under pressure it means that that this is what we do we keep going when the when the when the going gets tough you know we keep going but look on and perseverance if you will persevere if you will keep on trusting God and hoping in God and putting God in your equation, if you will keep God in your, uh, in, in, in your equation and persevere under tribulation, perseverance will work in you character. It'll actually change who you are. Interesting, huh? And character will work in you hope if you have a godlike character then you are going to be producing hope in your life the end result of this tribulation is that you'll end up with some hope as long as you keep god in the equation as long as you keep persevering with god as long as you don't draw back, as long as you don't take God out of the equation, as long as you don't start doing it on your own, as long as you keep God there, little by little, you're going to find yourself, little by little, gaining strength and ending up with hope. And the next phrase, the portion of the, of, of, of the fifth verse says, says this. It says, now hope does not disappoint. Literally meaning that you will not be disappointed in the process of life whenever you encounter trouble and tribulation and trials. If you will just keep God in the equation and not feel all self-sufficient and not just throw away your hope and not just throw away your faith and not just throw away your confidence in God. But if you'll keep on in the midst of tribulation, you're going to end up with more hope and you're going to know that hope is not going to disappoint you. You will never be disappointed in God whenever you keep him in the equation and listen you plant seed in the ground the Bible says that the farmer has long patience who he has he has a he has a perseverance he doesn't see it the harvest the first day the second day the third day he might not see the harvest for months but he waits on him because a man with hope will wait on the harvest Quickly, let's look at James, the first chapter, so that we can get this in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And, and in James, the first chapter, uh, the pastor of the church here in Jerusalem, the first pastor of the first church, uh, uh, James, a bondservant, verse 1, uh, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, he says, greetings. Look at what he starts out with in verse 2. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials, tribulations, tests, same thing. Okay? Temptations can fall in that category. Tribulation. Count it all joy when you fall. Now, Jesus said this, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptations. But count it all joy when you fall into temptation. But watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Now, don't go causing yourself problems. But whenever a problem presents itself, count it all joy. We glory in tribulation. Count it all joy in, in, in our trials that we are facing. 
knowing, again, we can, we can be happy, we can glory in tribulation because we know something. We know something that, that, that other people don't know because if we just keep God here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. This is the exact same Greek word as we read perseverance in Romans, the fifth chapter. Here it's translated patience. In Romans, the fifth chapter, this word hupomene is translated perseverance. Same Greek word. The trying of our faith, the, the, the testing of our faith produces something. It produces the ability to remain constant under pressure, to persevere. Do you know that huge ship, James will later say, a big ship, huge, can you imagine the biggest ship in the world has a very small little rudder. And if you turn that rudder, that ship may keep going because of the momentum, because of whatever other physical forces that work on it. Okay? It may keep going straight for a while, but you keep that rudder turned, and here in a moment you'll see that ship begin to turn. And then it will get established, and it will turn and start cutting around to a new course. And you can turn that rudder out, and it'll be right on a new course. By James will say in a minute, by a little rudder, a mighty ship is turned. He's talking here about how we act and interact. Specifically, he was talking about the tongue is like a little rudder. And you know like I do, if you don't have any hope, it, hope doesn't come out your mouth. You know, if you don't have any faith, faith doesn't come out your mouth. If you do, it comes out. And you turn that little rudder, and you keep that little rudder turned the right way, and it'll turn your whole life around. That's what he talked about. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Verse 4, but let patience, let perseverance, let this hubomene have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, so that you may lack nothing. Wow. What, a, what an amazing concept. Hope. Hope, oh my soul. Put your hope in God. You know, the just shall live by faith. Get some hope. Then you can put some faith to it. And you can watch your life turn around. Okay? Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hemmons. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.